Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is just a reminder that everything on the podcast is intended to be informational, educational, and entertaining. This is no way a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic process. If you find yourself in need of more direct support, please reach out for professional help. Or if you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or call 911. everyone, it's LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you are listening to the Labors of Love podcast. Today, I have a very special guest with me. She's a licensed clinical psychologist and the founder of Health Match 360. I have Dr. Bailey Bryant. Hi, Bailey. How are you? I am so good. How are you? You know what? I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good. I want to thank you for joining me on the podcast today. And I'm going to start the way I start with all of my podcasts when I have a guest and ask, what is your labor of love? Well, I've had some time to really give this some thought because I've listened, I think, to all of your previous episodes and you've had some awesome awesome. guests. I, so I have a lot of labors of love, but the common theme that ties them all together is helping people tap into their strengths because I feel like we have so many messages passed down to us from family, from our culture, from ourselves about what's wrong with us and how we're not good enough. And so my mission is to help people realize that they are good enough and in fact, really talented and capable of so much. That is really awesome. I I love that you expressed, I have a lot of labors that I love Mm -hmm. um, and that you found a thread. And I think that's not uncommon. Sometimes people, every guest behind the scenes have said some iteration of like, that's a really good question. I've never thought of it that way. Or (laughs) let me think about that. And I think that is because we have a vast, a lot of us have a vast array of interests and we do a lot of things. But I think if we do kind of look behind or underneath what we do, there is this common thread. So can you tell us a little bit about kind of how you found this thread and how helping people find kind of their greatness and their strengths has been become a labor of love for you? Yeah, so it's definitely been an evolution. I'd say a big lightning strike moment for me was when I was in graduate school, I went to the OPA conference on psychology and spirituality. And it was a wild hair. I saw this thing advertised and thought, well, that sounds like an interesting way to spend a weekend. And it blew me away. There were drum circles and and lectures on dream interpretation. But one that really stuck with me was this experiential lecture on positive psychology. And in this lecture, we were introduced to this measure called the values in action. And I'd be happy to go back to that because it's a really awesome tool. But we were put in small groups and encouraged to tell one another stories about times that we were at our best. And these strangers would listen to us, spot our strengths, and then give us feedback on all of the strengths that they noticed in our character just by that story. And the warm fuzzies that coursed throughout me based on that experience just lit me on fire. So 
Shortly after that, my grad school had their first ever positive psychology class, actually taught by Dr. Ryan Nemec, who was the same, the same man who did the lecture that I'm talking about. Uh, and it was also taught by Dr. Rick Reckman. So shout out to you guys. They're Cincinnati people. They're super awesome at what they do. Mm-hmm. And that class, again, set me on this journey of positive psychology and learning about strengths and flow and how to actually find happiness And from there, I just started implementing it in my clinical work and it became, it just became a big part of who I am. That's amazing. So one, I want to talk about the conference and Mm -hmm. what an experience that must have been. Um, Because I think culturally we are so used to being critiqued and Mm -hmm. we are so used to being judged that we come into spaces putting forth our best face, even if it's not authentic. And to have an experience where the sole purpose was for people to identify your strengths, I think is huge. And I thank you for sharing that because I think an overlap in the work that I do with what you're talking about is one of the um, core premises of trauma responsive care is helping people to identify their resilience Mm -hmm. and the resilience in the survival skills and mechanisms and patterns that they've developed. And that can be so hard when some of those coping skills have developed negative consequences. People can sometimes only see the consequence of that thing instead of the hidden resilience that's within it. And then helping them shift that to something that can be, um, take that resilience and build it in a way that is helpful for them. And so when I hear you talking about positive psychology, that's what it made me think of. And I think that's so awesome. Yeah, these things tie together so well, because even if this way of coping is now not so adaptive and helpful, at one point in time it was. And so Mm -hmm. our ability to adapt and figure out how to work out our life circumstances is incredible. Mm Mm-hmm. No, yeah. We are an amazing species. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think helping people understand that they are amazing people with such, like you said, such gifts and talents and strengths. Um, it's yeah, I love it. I am super excited. So can you take us, um, you said it's evolved and over time. So can you take us on a little journey? Um, I would imagine that maybe some of this resonated with you even way back when you were a child, maybe, and what this has looked like throughout your life. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it really has. So I'm, I'm so grateful to have parents that were really skilled at pointing out my strengths. Um, they also turned me into a, a perfectionist, which I'm recovering from, but but I did get a lot of positive messages about what I'm capable of and how strong I am and how I can do hard things. And so by them planting those messages in me, um, I, I had a bit of a head start because I had some people cheerleading me in my corner. And becoming a therapist and seeing that there are so many people who don't have those messages growing up has helped me realize that one of my jobs can be to implant those messages in people. You know, you are strong, you are creative, you're brave, you're great with teamwork, you're kind. So many people don't hear that. And just having somebody point it out can be massively empowering. It, it, it really can. And it's never too late. Mm-mm. Like, I think that's, that's the key message. It is never too late to give people 
those messages. Can we pause for a second and maybe unite in our recovery from perfectionism? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, you know, I, I say it constantly. So I, what I mainly say is I am also in recovery from being a shape-shifting people pleaser. Yep, um, me too. And with that comes kind of a companion of perfectionism. And just for me, understanding that how I became that way was not uh, intentional. But when I brought home a report card and it was all A's and one B, the first thing my dad would say is, hey, how are we going to get that B up to an A? And I like to highlight, like, he wasn't angry. He wasn't mean. It it was, you know, it was almost supportive, right? Mm-hmm. But it definitely sent a message. It's never good enough until it's perfect. And then when it is perfect, well, let's move on to the next thing, right? So there was very little pause in, in just, you know, the, the, the moment of that accomplishment. But beyond that, it, it never went really to anything but performance and accomplishment. And that, that, that set me definitely on a journey. So this, uh, this recovery I'm on, um, it is, it can be so easy to slip back into those old patterns of believing and thinking and behaving. And so I'm always very consciously aware. And now that I've learned to connect with my body, there are certain things when I start to feel things in my shoulders, that is my first sign that that I'm headed in that direction. So that's a little bit about my recovery. Can you talk to us a little bit about what yours looks like? Yes, although I might repeat a lot of what you just said because <laughs> that's okay. my experience was so similar. Um, definitely had those experiences of bringing home the report card with an A minus or a B plus, and the first question is like, "What happened here?" You know, mm-hmm. you're capable of more. Or I grew up playing soccer and would spend a lot of my time training, you know, trying to get in shape, trying to improve. And the message was always, there's someone out there working harder than you. So you might go out there for 30 minutes, but there's another girl out there for 45. And so there was this phantom perfect person that I was always competing against. And in one hand, that gets rewarded because when you get close to perfect, you get a whole lot of recognition and praise and achievements. But oh my gosh, is it the thief of joy to always try to be perfect because you just can't be. And so if I make mistakes on here, which I kind of hope I do, let's let them fly because I don't need to be perfect. I'm giving up on that. I'm going to try to be good, but, but that's it. I'm good enough as I am today, I don't have to prove anything to be worthy of love and having value. And and nobody does. Girl, high five. Amen. (laughs) I say all that. (laughs) (laughs) Because I, I, it is a thief of joy and it's a mate. So the striving, right. And Mm -hmm. the messages of kind of, um, you you are capable, right? So on one hand, like I will say, hands down, that is a message that my father helped me feel. It wasn't about what he said. Like I felt with him that I could do anything. I could be anything. Like I got that message. But there was also this kind of, uh, this message of aspiring that there was never really a finish line. The finish line continued to move. 
And so for me, I was in, when I was in grad school, um, I was taking this class, the <laughs> toughest class in the program taught by an amazing uh, professor who she required excellence. And I appreciate that from her, Dr. Jody Edwards. And I got into the point where I was having a meltdown. Okay. I was freaking out. Let me give you a little backstory. Can I tell you, I had just had twins. I was oh a my twin gosh. mama. Yeah. Twins. Poop out of me. And <laughs> I am in this graduate program and I'm doing all these things and I'm having this meltdown. And my husband is looking at me with concern, but also like, I'm crazy. Like, are you okay? And I'm like freaking out because I was getting my first non A in the program. It was an A minus. And he, <laughs> he was just like, okay. Um, like, I don't, I don't think he knew what to do with that. And you know, he's like, it's an A minus. And I was like, you don't understand. The goal is to graduate with a 4.0. And he just lovingly was like, no, the goal is to graduate. And I was like, whatever, you will see average student. Why are we even having this conversation? I love it. No, it was not this moment for me that was like, you're right. I was like annoyed, like whatever. We don't Mm -hmm. get, you know, but what it did was it made me pause and it made me say, okay, seriously, what is this about? And that's when I, that was my first time really journeying back to looking at growing up with those report cards. It was my first time really taking a look at my perfectionism. And here's what I realized. There is one high school diploma between both of my parents and education was extremely important to them for me. And I also realized that was not my burden to carry. Mm-hmm. Like I was carrying the burden of my father and I get it. Okay. My dad was born in 1939 in South Carolina. There are experiences he's had that I can't even imagine. I know he wanted for me what he conceptualized to be the ideal life. And I, so I get that, <clears throat> excuse me, and I can hold compassion for that. And I can look at how that played out through my life and the weight I carried for 30 some years. And I was freaking out over an A minus. And so it got to a point where I just, I asked myself a question after I made this discovery. And that question was, do I want to carry this anymore? And the answer I came up with was no. And so I put that down for that moment. It doesn't mean I don't look up sometimes and I'm not carrying it again. But when I can stop and ask myself, is this mine to carry? Do I want to carry this? I can put that down. Once I realized I had that choice, it was very freeing. And I would say that was kind of the beginning of my journey towards recovery. What was, if you had a specific moment or a time frame when you recognized the perfectionism and you decided that you wanted to step into recovery? So again, I feel like my story is so similar. Um, It was in graduate school. And the first time I was confronted with it was my first time in therapy. And I went in to see this therapist and I told her what was going on with me. And she said, you're a perfectionist. And she handled me a worksheet. And I thought, this is absolutely useless. (laughs) I am not a perfectionist. This is not my problem. My problems are other things. You don't understand me. Um, So I rejected it wholeheartedly when she very aptly pegged me as a perfectionist. 
And it wasn't until my second go round in therapy, which was a couple years later, where I was having this quarter life crisis. I was really struggling in grad school. I was just struggling with my mood, with balancing everything. And I felt that the reason that I was there was because my family expected me to be there. You know, I was the one who was supposed to do something big. Mm-hmm. My One of my grandfathers was a Greek Cypriot who immigrated over here, I think when he was in his 20s. And ever since I was a little girl, he would tell me, you have to be a doctor or a lawyer, doctor or a lawyer, doctor or a lawyer. That was the message. And so there was this expectation, like, I'm supposed to do something big. And when it all sort of crashed down on me, I think this might have been my third year of grad school, I took the summer to rediscover myself. I was ready to drop out and join the Peace Corps, and I was going to go build mud huts and set up water for people who didn't have water, and got back into therapy again. And that's my therapist took me through this hypnosis session, hypnotherapy. It was super powerful. She had me go on this journey to find my guide. And in this mental journey I was on, it was this older woman. She was living in this cabin in the middle of the woods, had this really warm persona, kind of looked like the female version of Dumbledore. It's very wise, Mm -hmm. Um, super long gray hair. And she gave me permission to quit graduate school. That was basically her advice. Like, you know what you need to do. You need to quit. And so I'm crying and, and my therapist brings me back and I told her what happened. And in that moment, I gave myself permission to stop doing what everybody else expected me to do. And interestingly, after I gave myself permission to stop doing things for that reason, I realized that I was actually on the path that I really wanted to be on, but I wasn't doing it for me. Mm -hmm. And so when I recommitted to doing it for me, it shifted everything. Wow. Now that is huge. And, And what I find very interesting, thank you so much for sharing your story, is that you weren't on the wrong path. And, and I think that's key because I have had moments like that too, where it's like, no, I believe I'm where I'm supposed to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing, but it is what is underneath. What is the guiding motive and the thing that is causing me to do it? And when I'm doing it for other people or to be seen a certain way, there is no joy in it. There is really little flexibility it lacked my personality because it it had to be a certain way. That is huge. And so is there a, a practice or a, a thought or anything that keeps you, what keeps you um, on the path of authenticity and what helps you to not kind of just pick that perfectionism back up on a regular basis? Well, it's a constant struggle. I will say that my partner has been so helpful because when I met him about 10 years ago, I was very deep in my people pleasing. And he had this mantra of, I really hope that you like me, but if you don't, that's okay too. Hmm. And my reaction was, that's absolutely not okay. (laughs) Everyone (laughs) must like me and love me and approve of what I'm doing. And watching him move through the world actually embodying that 
he is himself all the time, love it or hate it. And seeing that there's sometimes that he actually rubs people the wrong way, but he's fine. Like he's never died from it. <laughs> the world has never crumbled. Like our house doesn't catch on fire if someone doesn't like him was just mind blowing. And so he's been huge in helping me realize I do like when people like me, that feels really good. And if that's what I'm chasing, I'm going to be perpetually unhappy. I'm going to mm -hmm. be a fake version of myself. I'm going to dampen down my inappropriate sense of humor and my childlike <laughs> sense of wonder, which is really what the people who are close to me love about me. Yes. I, I, I do. Sometimes I'm like, are we kindred spirits? Like our stories are so similar, <laughs> but I have to say like my partner as well was huge in this. I know, you know, um, my, my husband is my second marriage. And so, um, very terrible first marriage and relationship. And so by the time we knew each other for a while, but by the time we got to this point of noticing each other and, and dating, if you will, I remember I would ask questions, you know, we're in the get to know you phase and I call myself kind of covertly asking questions of him. Ultimately, what I wanted him to do is to tell me who to become. So mm -hmm. I, I liked him. I wanted him to like me and my entire template and life experiences had taught me that if I wanted him to like me and ultimately choose me, then I had to morph into whatever idea of me he had. And so I would ask these questions and man, I would get frustrated because he would not give me the answers <laughs> I was looking for. And it was so annoying, right? Can you, you know, inside, I'm like, just tell me who to be, you know? Mm -hmm. And he just would not do that. I don't, I don't even know that he knew that was my underlying motive, but everything was just like, no, like be you. And I, I do distinctly remember. So at this point, you know, we're, that I'm about to talk about, we're married but I, I think I was in my car and I had a thought. I was sitting here thinking about what someone might be thinking about me. I, that, that has been my life story. I mean, just feeling like everyone is uh, thinking something about me or blah, blah, blah. And I just had a thought. I don't know if Jay has ever had that thought. Like, I wonder what someone is thinking about me. Like, I don't think he has ever, like... That it, not only is it not a guiding force, I just don't know that <laughs> that's something he would think. And in that moment, having that realization, I realized that that did not have to be my every thought. And that was so powerful for me. Like he lives his life very authentically, right? Who he is. And, and it just is what it is. And that knowing that someone lived their life that way, and I knew it was for real, kind of gave me the motivation to know that like it was a possibility. I think it would be some time before I got to, you know, that grad school class and, <laughs> and, and make that actual change. But I do remember thinking how freeing that must be. So yay to partners and friends and people who genuinely see us and encourage us to be us. Well, and truly my clients have been some of my biggest teachers too, so a big part of what I do is is psychotherapy. I have a I have a group practice and I see adults a lot who are struggling with mood disorders and a lot of people who are anxious, much like me. I was born an anxious child. It's just in my genes. And having those experiences of clients coming back after a session and saying, 
that they've been thinking about something they said last session and worried that they had offended me or worried that I had thought this or thought that. And it always catches me off guard because that thing that they had been worrying about never even registered as a thing for me. I hadn't been sitting here ruminating on this thing that they said and judging mm -hmm. them and all of these awful thoughts that they thought I was having about them. And so then I had this experience of, oh my gosh, when I'm sitting here picking apart a conversation that happened, dissecting somebody's facial expression, ruminating, there's a good chance that this thing didn't even register on their radar as an event. <laughs> that is such, yes, 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 and yes. Um, I, I love that you have been able to see yourself kind of through your clients and do that. I as well have, I will have clients say to me, the, some people can be very honest and it's like, you know, I'm going to say this, but I'm afraid that you're going to do this. And what I will constantly, what I will frequently say is I can almost guarantee you that whatever you think I'm thinking, I'm not mm -hmm. like just as a rule of thumb, I can, I can almost guarantee you unless what you think I'm thinking of you is extremely empathic and compassionate you're probably going to be wrong about it you know and I will be honest with you what I'm thinking because it goes back to the strengths and the resilience when you tell this thing and and it it feels so shameful and embarrassing and you can't believe you've done it said it or thought it what I'm seeing is the resilience and the adaptability that you've had to survive your family system or your social structures that's what I'm looking at and so I do think that that can be a two-way street of healing for both us sitting in that space of clinician and learning from them and then being able to have that kind of unconditional acceptance, which is so rare in the general world. Oh, yeah. That's what makes therapy so powerful is it's if it's done well, it's one of those places where you are totally safe. You are not going to be judged and your therapist is going to hold unconditional positive regard for you regardless of all of the messed up stuff you might have done or said or thought or have urges to do. And that is almost non-existent outside of therapy. It is. We're unicorns, people. Yes. <laughs> no, it's true. I will say here is 60 minutes of your week where you don't have to pretend. Mm -hmm. Take a break. Like just relax, be authentically you. And the goal here is while you're being authentically you and you're experiencing someone seeing you authentically and, and still accepting you and holding love and positive regard for you, notice what that feels like in your body. Notice how that feels. Now you can start to know what that feels like. So if you come across someone else and you start to get that same feeling, that may point you in a direction of like, oh, oh, this kind of relationship is different. It's a practicing ground. Practice the skill here of just being, and then you can build the muscle so that you can do it out there. And it is, it is huge. And in my own personal therapy journey, that was huge. I, I showed up. It took a while because, you know, I was still performing for my therapist for a long time. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> I was performing because I, I had to be the perfect client. <laughs> and when people are able to call that out, man, and, and just say, just be you. It is amazing. Now I will say, I had no idea we were going to go this direction and it has been amazing. Um, <laughs> thank you, Bailey. But I'm like, oh yeah, like I should probably get back to her labor of love. Um, 
<laughs> so thank you for this journey that we've been able to go on in regards to just because I believe it's going to help someone. Um, I hope so. It feels a little, a little like a group therapy session right now, and I'm here for absolutely. it. Absolutely. And girl, listen, always uh, down for the group therapy sessions. <laughs> so I know that you do a lot. And as the kind of foundation of what you do, uh, recognizing people's strengths and helping them um, observe them in themselves. Can you tell us in, in the various ways that this shows up for you outside of your psychotherapy? Yeah. So I've got three businesses uh, because I learned probably about five years ago that I I don't function well in large systems, big businesses that have strict rules about productivity and how you're supposed to spend your time and clocking in and clocking out. I just don't do well. So I created my own life, um, which has been a heck of a journey, but it gives me the space and the freedom to be able to create new programs and new services and work with people that I really want to work with and do the type of work I really want to work. So the way that that's morphed is I first started out with a solo private practice, just me seeing my clients, really, really enjoyed that work. But I'm also a team person. I grew up playing soccer. I love being a part of a team. I love being surrounded by people who are brighter, smarter than me so I can learn from them. And so I decided when I left my full-time job working at a state psychiatric hospital to create this life of entrepreneurship that I still wanted to be on a team, um, but I didn't want to work for somebody else. So what I ended up stumbling upon was getting a commercial property and then renting out offices to other people who are in this health and wellness field. So I wanted to surround myself by other awesome clinicians who had different backgrounds in mind, different perspectives in mind, but similar values as far mm -hmm. as putting clients first, practicing extremely ethically with a lot of compassion, and ended up finding this amazing group of people who are now housed at Good Therapy, because um, we do good therapy. <laughs> and one of my jobs, I feel, is to help support them in pulling out their strengths and giving them whatever I can to allow them to do the awesome work that they are capable of doing. So I not only like pulling out the strengths of my clients and helping them get closer to their ideal selves, but I also love doing that for helpers. Because helpers have such a massive impact on our society as a whole that if I can help a helper whose then job is to help other people, the ripple effect is tremendous. I so agree with you. Like, so for the record, Bailey and I have met, right? We we did a mm -hmm. Zoom call to get to know each other, but we don't know each other well. But now I'm like, it's kind of because I feel like in some ways we're the same person. <laughs> um, <laughs> I So when I first started my, I still am in solo practice, but as I've gone through time, I, I, I am not, I believe that the group practice thing will come um, because of, I have similar values that you have just stated and when I first started uh, Labors of Love, it was um, to help helpers. So Healing for the Healers is, is still my Facebook kind of tag, you know, my name on Facebook. And I had a thought that I would be working with first responders, and but I also included clinicians and social workers and teachers and things in that, in that as well. And that is kind of morphed now that I'm doing family things, but I still 
definitely want to help the helpers because one, if they are not healthy and whole, they hurt people. Yeah. Even if they don't mean to. And so I, I still provide a discount for helpers who come to me for therapy. Um, and not having the group practice right now, but I do provide kind of consultation for other helpers who want to deepen their understanding of trauma with their clients, as well as cultural humility in working and making sure their practices are anti-oppressive. And so I do that and hold classes for helpers who are just trying to get support and, and, and help, you know, figure out why is this rubbing me the wrong way, right? I get it. Here's this client and help them understand when a client comes in and they have an issue that rubs against our own template, that can throw us off for a whole session. We can Mm -hmm. save face. Like we can still be, look like we're present, but we've got inner children and they're going crazy. (laughs) And like, wait a minute, what did she just say? (laughs) And then we can respond, not even knowing what's happening. And so I really love to help helpers, whatever capacity that is, um, kind of work through some of those things themselves, point out their resilience and all of that. So I love, love, love what I'm hearing. So you have your group practice, good therapy. I actually have a really good friend who's part of your group practice and she loves you so very much. Um, so Amy Sullivan and, uh, yay, I'm excited. Um, and she was actually one of the people It's like, you should know her. I'm like, I should. Let's let's do that. And I don't know if you were going to go here next, but it was interesting because I had started to get these emails about Health Match 360. And I was like, hey, why not? And then when Amy was saying like, hey, you should know her. I didn't put the two together. I didn't realize uh-huh. you were the same person. And then I remember I was like, wait a minute. I Does she do da 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 da? It's like, <laughs> oh, okay. She's the same person. So please, can you tell the listeners about Health Match 360? Absolutely. And I just want to say I love Amy back. She I'm so happy to have her in my space. Uh, she's amazing. She is truly amazing. For the record, if you want to know who Amy is, check out the episode on polyvagal theory. And she was my guest. Oh, so Health Match 360, that is my newest labor of love. Um, I had no idea what a labor it would be, but oh my goodness. Okay, so it's it's a therapist matching platform that totally free to clients right now it's actually free to everybody because we're still working on making it super excellent and making sure everybody gets so much value from it but it makes it easy for clients to get matched up with therapists who meet their needs and preferences because finding a therapist is so hard hard. and there are some nice tools out there some therapists have awesome websites and if you're happen to stumble upon them on google you might be able to tell like oh this is a great person for me but a lot of us when we try to find a therapist we might use a directory site like psychology today but in cincinnati alone there's 850 therapists with psychology today profiles seriously throw a rock you're gonna hit a mm-hmm. therapist who's on psychology today yeah and there are some wonderful people on there but it's just hard to navigate the system. You get a bit of choice fatigue. Uh And so what my platform does differently is we ask clients, you know, what do you want in a therapist? Do you want a therapist of a certain gender identity, uh, racial or ethnic orientation? Do you want somebody who specializes in this issue or that issue? Do you want somebody who has experience working with these populations or does telehealth or takes this insurance? 
We have so many different variables. And our goal is to help somebody find somebody who is not only qualified to work on whatever issue you want to work on, but actually has some of the personality variables that you like, some of the demographic variables that would make you comfortable. Because if you don't feel comfortable and safe and connected with your therapist, then it's all for nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so thank you for your labor in this. Um, being on both sides of that as a, a person who has sought therapy and a therapist and as a clinician, what I very, very, very much about Health Match 360 is as much as, um, as from a client perspective that I want to find a therapist that fits my needs. I also want clients to find me who I will meet their needs. Mm-hmm. And so one of the reasons that I do the, um, I give a free consultation to potential clients is for that exact reason. Let's have a conversation. I let me know what you're looking for. Let me tell you very authentically about how I work with people so they can make the decision. Do I think this is going to fit? And whether people just generally ask me about finding a therapist or whether I'm on that consultation call, I will always say, you know, take some time to think about it. But let me tell you, if this is not a good fit, I just want you to know that is okay. And, you know, if there's something you're looking for, I can maybe point you in the right direction. But ultimately, I hope you find someone who meets your needs. And I say that because sometimes, especially people who are uh, people pleasers, mm-hmm. they can meet a therapist and be like, I don't think this is going to work. But oh my God, I've already talked to them for 15 minutes. I'm locked in. <laughs> You know, I have to see them. What if they get mad at me? And 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 it may sound unrealistic, but those are thoughts I've had. Oh, right? yeah. It's so bad that when we go to the mall or different places, like kiosks terrify me because I don't know how to say <laughs> no. I don't know how to not get sucked in. I might oh, not no. buy everything, but <laughs> let me tell you, I can waste an hour because if each kiosk took 15 minutes, I don't know how to just walk past a person like especially if they're like smiling or nice so I've learned like I have to walk on the out so I have to put my husband next to me closest to them because he he's unbothered mm-hmm. I've been in Sam's okay or Costco and I will go down the long way to avoid the people <laughs> who are selling things okay so this is this I'm just being real this is me so I can be very very like and I, I don't go to buy things by myself period, like big items. Like I would never go to like a car dealership or anything by myself. It's terrible. Oh, it, it's, it's you'd end really up with a weird. Lamborghini. I would. <laughs> it would be so bad. Don't even like but the color. But they were nice. <laughs> That's but they were so nice. And so I just want to say like, I say that to give permission, explicit permission to people, but thinking that there is a way to narrow it down. And even when I have friends and loved ones who are seeking a therapist, right? They can't see me for therapy, but I might say like, you know, how can I help you on this search? And I get tired looking through the multitude of people who, you know, and, and I, I be, I'm trying to be 100% honest for me. You can only read so many psychology today profiles. And then they all just say the same thing. I want to help you. Yeah. I want to help you. <laughs> Let me help you. This is how I'll help you. And I'm not knocking that, but after a while, it just gets laborsome. So I love that you are putting people in positions to eliminate some of that by at least giving them a smaller pool to choose from based on their needs. 
So how has how has it been going? It's been going good. So our platform has only been fully up and running since March 3rd, which I feel like is going to be one of my anniversary dates that I forever remember because, oh my gosh, it took so much to get to that date. Mm-hmm. So we've got a great pool of therapists who are signed up locally. Our, our client numbers are starting to pick up. So since this is a tech startup, we're, we're technically at the seed stage. So starting to look for outside investors and grow our team and, and really, hopefully if we do get those outside investors start to really explode right now, what I want to give people, I want therapists to have clients coming to them who are really good fit for you because as a therapist myself, Say I specialize in perfectionism, which actually I do like working with perfectionists. If a perfectionist comes through my door, I get so excited because I understand what's happening. I understand Mm -hmm. what's helpful. You know, I, I get this and I do good work in this area. But if I have a caseload filled with people who I'm technically able to treat, but they don't really like light me up, that's a recipe for burnout. And a burnout helper does nobody any good. So I want to send clients to a therapist that they are pumped to work with because this is their jam. And I want to make it easier for clients, not only because I've had the experience of how hard it is to find a therapist, but also because my clients tell me all the time, just the awful experiences they've had in the past by ending up with somebody who wasn't a good fit or how many phone calls they had to make before they finally got a hold of someone. And when you're struggling, you don't need the process of finding help to be a whole other obstacle you have to you have to surmount. No, that that's so relevant. When I call people back, the number of people are like, oh my God, thank you for calling me back. I like, know. Do people not call you back? And they'll say, you know, you were one of 10 people I called and you're the only one who called me back. Uh, I, I find that to be crazy. Um, so no, I love that. And I, and to your point, in case people don't know this, like we do get jazzed, man, when that ideal client comes Mm -hmm. and it's not about the, the person themselves. It's just about developing a skill and a, a pleasure and joy in helping people get through certain things. Um, I love working with multi-generational families. And so when I get someone who's like, Hey, so I need to bring in my sister and their partner and my mom. I'm like, yes, bring <laughs> it. Let's go. You know, and I, I, I try not to, you know, it's like, oh, it's me and my kids. Don't get me wrong. I work with it. But when we bring in those elements, those siblings and those aunts and that grandma and that parent, like it does things to me. I get goosebumps. I'm like super excited to do that work. And I think every clinician kind of has that. And that's something, you know, you want it's for me, it's like having a hairstylist who specializes in what you want for your hair. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, sure, there are people who learn basic skills that could probably make you not look all crazy. But that doesn't mean (laughs) that they know how to help you nurture your hair and grow it and, and do all those things. So match health match 360, I believe, as it grows and uh, it's going to be amazing. And what I also want to say is like, yay, March 3rd and then COVID. (laughs) So you essentially started this and then got smacked with a pandemic. So yeah, it's hard hard to say what, what, you know, 
yeah, it's hard to tell because COVID has skewed everything about everything. So yay. Anything else you want people to know about Health Match 360? This isn't necessarily the portion where it's like, tell them where to find you. But if people are like, wait, hold on, I want to know more about that. Um, what else can you tell them that can help uh, both clinicians and uh, people seeking clinicians to know about that? So we're still in our early phases of trying to get as much user feedback as possible. What do you like? What's helpful? What don't you like? What could be better? So we can keep improving what we're doing. And so if you're a clinician who's looking to build up your caseload, or you even just want to support this service because you think it's a great thing to have available for people, I would encourage you to sign up, try it out. Know that, again, we're, we're a few months in, and so it's not super squeaky clean, you know, this multi-million dollar platform that does everything perfectly, but we're on our way to becoming something pretty powerful. So try us out. If something is not working well, give us feedback, but know that my purpose in doing this is to help helpers and help clients. That's what's most important to me. So if you can think of ways that we can do it better, please let me know. Because at the end of the day, I want everybody to feel like this has tremendous value for them. It makes their life easier. It makes their jobs better. It makes finding a therapist easier. Um, so please know that that our heart is in it to really help people find help. No, oh, I love that. Thank you. Are there any other ways that your labor of love of uh, finding and helping people to acknowledge and know their strengths shows up in your life? Um, goodness. I mean, I'm sure it does. I'm a definite, uh, it's funny. I was never a cheerleader growing up. That's not true. I think I was for like two months. I was not good at it. Um, <laughs> but as a friend and a colleague, I love cheering on and supporting other people and, and encouraging them to take that risk and do that thing and love celebrating them when they're able to do that. I feel as women, we could probably do a better job doing this for one another because we're raised to be kind of competitive. But when women pull together and pull each other up and get inspired from one another's successes, like watch out world because we're pretty powerful. Yes, we are. (laughs) (laughs) And it is, it is, I, I, yeah, that could be a whole other podcast episode, but you're right. Um, We've been socialized and culturalized to view each other as the opponent. And um, there has been, due to gender inequalities and other forms of oppression, there's been this um, scarcity of job positions or, um, you know, men, you know, partners and all of these different things. And so I believe that, you know, we're kind of taught that, you know, you got to look better. You have to be better. You have to dress better. You have to do all of these things. But it's kind of interesting when I've entered into relationships, because I'm not saying I didn't drink the Kool-Aid, downed by the gallons. But when I was able to push past some of that sometimes and found myself in genuine relationship with other women, I realized that it's, it, it is not about competition. Like we can boister each other up so high and hold space for each other and accomplish some great things. And I, I think that's amazing. And so, you know, I think and would hope that, you know, my friends and family would say the same thing, just kind of 
being there to support people, which is pretty awesome. And when you find the relationships that offer it back, there are a few things in my life that feel that good. Mm -hmm. Um, Finding people who can be to me what I have been to so many other people has been amazing. So yes. So anything else you can think of that you want to share with the guests today before we start wrapping up? Oh, I mean, about me, I think that's, I feel like I've talked so much about myself already, but if I could just offer anything out to the world and to your listeners, it's doing what you can to recognize the strengths of the people in your life right now, instead of their weaknesses, their shortcomings, their differences. We could all use a little bit more love and compassion. Every single one of us can. (laughs) Bailey, I want to thank you so, so, so much for joining us. So one, I would like to ask for you to share, as I do with all my guests, a fun, interesting, or little known fact about yourself. Oh, so my go-to fun fact is that I like riding a motorcycle. So I have, Mm -hmm. I have one, I have a big boy cruiser, big girl cruiser, I should say. She's a lady. Um, and so that that is one of my hobbies. I really enjoy riding around country roads, twisty hills. Brings me a lot of peace. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and can you tell our listeners how they can find you? If they heard something that piqued their interest, um, they have questions, or they just want to otherwise get in contact with you, how can they find you? Absolutely. So if you're interested in HealthMatch360, it's healthmatch360.com. Or you can always find me on LinkedIn, uh, linkedin.com slash in slash Dr. Bailey Bryant. Or if you Google drbaileybryant.com, you will find me and I'm happy to connect. Awesome. Well, Bailey, again, thank you so much for being such a kindred spirit and coming uh, on the podcast and sharing your passion and your labors of love with our guests. It's been a pleasure. Good. For my listeners, as always, I thank you for tuning in. If you would like to reach me, you have suggestions for guests or content, you can reach me at my website, www.thelaborsoflove.com. We are on all the major social media outlets. Don't forget our YouTube channel, Labors of Love Counseling and Consulting, where every Thursday we put out a Therapy Thursday video. And don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share the podcast. Until we connect again, you all be well.